Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. Find us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod and subscribe to the show, of course, on your favorite podcasting network. And I say it every week. And while you're there, give us a rating and review. And if you don't mind, pick out a buddy and text them the link to the show so we can continue to what? Grow the listener base because we're having a great time doing this show each and every week. And uh, I can tell that you folks are enjoying listening to it because... Well, those numbers keep going on up and up and up each and every week. Uh, So we got a really jam-packed episode this week, continuing the series of position group breakdowns with the wide receivers and tight ends. We're going to talk about them together in some capacities and separately in some capacities. So this is going to be a really deep dive into those uh, position groups, but the receiving core as a whole. Uh, Russ has also got, of course, five things that every herd fan needs to know this week, and we're going to take it around the herd to see what happened in herd athletics. But before we get into all that, let's get a quick word from our sponsor, 304carwreck.com. If you've been injured in a car wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. What happens when an Ohio driver crashes into a West Virginia driver in Kentucky? That can be a mess. But if you can dream it up, Jason and Matt have probably been there, done that, and gotten their clients paid. Don't fight the insurance companies alone. Contact Jason and Matt at 304carwreck.com. Russ, there was some news made this week in Herd Athletics, some coming out of the Sunbelt Conference. Um, We got a date for Sunbelt Media Days even. I'm not sure if we're going to talk about that this week, maybe next week. I don't know. Um, Some schedules got dropped and all kinds of good stuff. So... Give me five things everything. Hmm. Hmm. Screwed that one up real good. Give me five things every herd fan needs to know this week. You'll get it right next time, man. I'll get it. I promise <laughs> this will be the only mistake I ever make on this ever. Show. That's the only <laughs> that's the only one we'll ever, ever make. All right. Uh, five things every herd fan needs to know, as always, brought to you by Ignite Link, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one, we've got some news on future football scheduling. Herald Dispatch article had some quotes from Christian Spears, and it had some news on our upcoming teams that had not previously been announced. KD, I'll bring these up, but what are your thoughts off the top of your head? I read the I read the article, um, and you know the, the overall gist of the article was that you know you often make these games years in advance, and with a lot of realignment going on, well it's turned all that kind of 180 and now you're scrambling last minute to fill some things because of some changes. And that's a prime example of what happened to the herd this year. We had Appalachian yeah. state on the schedule as a non-conference opponent. And then bam, you join the Sunbelt a year early and that game becomes a conference game. And now you're scrambling to find somebody to fill enter Gardner Webb. So right. it's not one that moves the needle for a lot of fans, but God, when you need a game, you need a game. And I guess at the very least you scrambled and got a home game. So while it doesn't move the needle, you were kind of behind the eight ball and scrambling, and at least you got a date on the home schedule. So, yeah. you know, you, you make the best of what you can. But look, some of these games, 
I'm kind of okay with others. I'm just like, God, I hope this is a filler until something better comes along. At least you got something scheduled, you know, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of fans that read this are feeling the same way. I mean, no disrespect um, meant, but when you see central Connecticut state on the, on the schedule, and when you see Stony Brook, you're thinking, okay, you got something for that week, but hopefully somebody else has to do some scrambling and, you know, Marshall can get out of that game and get into a better game and still get a home game, you know? So um, yeah, let's, let's talk about some of these games. Go ahead. Throw out what you got there. All right. So I'm not going to go down and break down 2023, then 2024 and so on and so on. But the three teams, and you've already mentioned two of them that were dropped that we previously didn't know were uh, FCS opponents, Central Connecticut State in 2023, Stony Brook in 2024, and then Middle Tennessee State in 2026. Those were the three that were news. However, if you do a little pondering here in 2023, because we already had Virginia Tech and Navy at home, and you've got your four conference games that will be at home, we're going to have seven games. Mm -hmm. So our FCS opponent that uh, year will actually give us seven home games, five away. So that's looking like a really good thing. You know, you got Navy and Virginia Tech already. Uh, We don't know exactly who we're going to have in conference, but you can figure that it is likely not to be the ones that we had this year. You know, so some of our away opponents we would have. Now, because of Sunbelt scheduling, it might be a quirk that we have back-to-back opponents from 2022 and 2023 playing at home. You know, you just don't know. That's kind of unlikely, I would say. You know, we went through that in Conference USA a couple of years ago where we ended up getting Western Kentucky two years in a row at home, but mm-hmm. that was because UAB started back up in that right. in that time frame. So, you know, being that the, the Sun Belt is like evened out, you know, nobody's, you know, JMU is playing a mix of Sun Belt games mm-hmm. and other games and, you know, that, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's you could probably just mirror – reverse the schedule you know with the exception that maybe your west division teams get yeah, your swapped west out. division but so, i mean there is still a chance we don't know 100 percent because no. this year was just kind of thrown together and it was because of so many teams for coming in that they had to kind of mix and match and swap around so we could see that quirk is it likely i don't think so but still Seven home games, that's news. Yeah, it's a good point. Yo, that's a that makes for that makes the addition of a centrical centrical central Connecticut state on the schedule a little easier to swallow because it's a bonus home game. You know, right. you're like, right, I don't get excited about that, but it's a seventh home game. So that that doesn't happen too often if you're a herd fan. You know, we've had it a few times. And you're right, I want to touch on that again that you're talking about the quirkiness. You know, they'll have a whole year to iron out a more um, permanent plan, so yeah. to say, so to speak. So it, you could see, you know, some teams come to the Joan twice in a row, but yeah. uh, I would feel safe in saying at least the East Division teams aren't going to be that way because that there's no need to jumble that up. You know, you're going to play back and forth the uh, alternating years. It doesn't, that's not going to change. The only thing you might see a quirk, I guess, would be a Western division, you know, changeover or crossover game. Other news that you can get from here, even though Christian Spears declined to say which team it was, 
a 2022 opponent of ours that we're going on the road tried to either postpone or buy us out of the uh, the trip there i don't think that it takes too much of a stretch of imagination to say it was notre dame i mean you would have to expect that it would have to be when you narrow it down it's either bowling green or <laughs> notre dame and you know what's the children's show one of these things is not like <laughs> the other one uh it was notre dame and yeah. kudos for us striking while we did and saying no we want to go there and want to play because let's say it gets pushed off they said that it was 2026 or i think 2027 before we would have a chance to go there and then that gives five more years that it things change that we may never get to go there yeah so i'm i'm glad to take it he specifically mentioned that you know sometimes that makes sense to get that additional money uh, this year, definitely moving to the Sun Belt and with the schedule already uh, having to be juggled around a bit, it just was not a good year. And a lot of people are looking forward to going and playing yeah. in Notre Dame. Yeah, this is a destination opponent, one that a lot of folks are looking at as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see the herd in South Bend, Indiana. And it might be, and you're right, you, you give that game up, you may never get it back. Yeah, You know, it, it just may not happen. And and I'm really glad that they stuck to their guns and they said, nope, we're playing the game. Um, I mean, you could give them the out for some egregious, I mean, I mean, utterly egregious amount of money to buy you out of that game. And because let's face it, they, they've got it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's been my longstanding argument with the P5, G5 uh, wealth gap is when you're signing these one and dones, you shouldn't be agreeing to games for $1.9 million. It should be like, Four million bucks, you know, like hit them in the wallet. They got the jack. Let them pay for it. Yeah, so make them make them give you one of those big checks, like on Happy Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, <I don't, laughs> no, but I'm really glad they stuck to this one. A lot of folks are looking forward to playing this game. So uh, yeah. there have been some good good games that they're talking about that are on the schedule. That you know, for the most part, it it looks promising. You see Middle Tennessee State on there, and you're like, nee. You know, of all the Conference USA teams to maybe be able to hook up with, is that the one you want? I don't know, but, you know, whatever. It's it's a game on the schedule. That doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't give me a sour taste in my mouth. It's just like, okay, you needed a game, you got a game. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not going to go through the rest of these games. We are going to tweet out this article uh, after the show drops, so you'll be able to read it. And if you're not familiar with our – out-of-conference home slate uh, and some away opponents that we have coming up over the next four to five years, it'll be in this article. All right, number two, we have a new hire. Arlen Vieira was hired as the special assistant to the athletic director. She comes over from Pitt, and Christian Spears was very familiar with her work there and tabbed her to be the special assistant here. Special assistant to the athletic director. Um, I can't imagine there are going to be too many more uh, hirings or changes to the athletic administration staff. I mean, we've seen a flurry of them here in the last two weeks, like three yeah. hires, I believe. So you got to think that that's getting close to being a solidified staff since we're getting so close to, you know, the uh, academic year, everything starting to kick off, you know. It's, but um, reading the article, pretty impressive. And uh, to, to just be 22 and land a job at 
a, a institution the size of Marshall in a, in a higher profile position like this one is pretty impressive. So um, I tell you what I really like seeing is youth and diversity amongst the athletic administration staff. That, yeah. that means we're, we're, we're trying to cover all bases and talk to all people that are fans of the herd, right? Not everybody is, uh, you know, a 60 year old dude. You know what I mean? Like we have a lot of fans that are in all walks of life and it's, and I'm glad that our athletic administration staff is um, mirroring that. So it's pretty cool. I'm glad we're seeing some, some fresh breath in, in, in the staff. I, I like what uh, Mr. Spear, <clears throat> Mr. Spears and, the, and uh, his uh, management team and or his team in general is, is starting to do. So this is, this is getting exciting. It's really getting exciting. By all accounts, she's a great person to have on the staff uh, due to what she had done up at Pitt and who she learned under and uh, the quick uh, learning curve, I guess you would say. And uh, in fact, one person that I talked to even stated that she is someone that they are convinced will be an athletic director in the future, 15, 20 years down the road, maybe, but with what she brings to the table, they could see that no problem. Yeah. Well, this is a heck of a start. So being yeah. the special assistant to the AD, I mean, you're working literally right alongside a division one athletic director who better to learn from. That's right. Um, number three, conference USA announced that women's golf swim and dive and women's basketball all won the top GPA in the conference amongst their respective teams. And individually, Jackie Schmidt of women's golf and Madeline Hart of swim and dive won the top individual scholar awards. KD, there's this buzzword <laughs> that you have used maybe once, maybe twice. What is this? It's like once every 10 minutes on the show, but yes, <laughs> the differentiator, baby. That's what yeah. we do. That's right. That's what it's we do. It's a differentiator. <laughs> and, you know, we, we have talked about it a lot, but, you know, the Buck Harless uh, Center for Academics and the HELP program, and, you know, we just, I mean, but this is on the athletes, the coaches, the parents of these players. It's on everybody top to bottom putting in a great effort in the classroom. Yeah. I mean, and the athlete themselves, you know, they got to want to do the work. You got to well, be, that, they're the ones that I said, the players. Yeah. Know, I mean, but you got it. You got it. I probably did. You've got to be internally motivated to want to get it done. Right. I mean, we can have all of these tools in place, which we have, we have a lot of them and you can have all the people in the world in your ear coaching and counseling and, and offering um, help and advice. But if you just don't want to do it, then it's not going to happen. So um, I can appreciate it. I've said before, man, I wasn't the greatest student while I was at Marshall. I really wasn't. I was, I mean, I was a good student, but I wasn't, I wasn't no uh, Dean's list year in and year out student. You know, I, I, I did, I got a degree. <laughs> I can say that, but uh, what's the old saying? How's it, how's it go? C's get degrees, my man. <laughs> so we've talked a bunch about their, uh, schedules that they have to juggle as athletes yeah. and especially with travel and and all that to away meets and games and things like that and I, I just i cannot fathom having to do that and still pulling in a 4.0 and as a team getting 3.5 3.75 4.0 uh so just 
kudos to each and every one of these teams and individuals. Yeah, everybody thinks they could be a Division One athlete until you see the grind. You see the yeah. daily schedule. The you know the day starts at six a.m. or something like that with a workout, and then it doesn't stop until nine p.m. at night after your last team meeting. You know, and mm -hmm. then you've got to rest and recover and do it all over again the next day. It's like you get to the point. You've heard them say it over and over. Athletes said it over and over. Like game day is the day off. You know, that's the <laughs> that's when it's like, whoo, we get to take a break and have fun now. You know, because we've worked our tails off for the last five to six days, and game day is when we get to take it easy and just go have fun. Yeah. Number four. This just kicked off on Thursday, I believe it was. This herd is home has kicked off. Thoughts. I like the idea, of course. You know, I, I like the idea when I first heard about it back in mid-June um, from the athletic director. I was excited about it. And when it dropped, I was disappointed to find out that I couldn't take part in it because of the way it's initially set up. Um, it, it's aimed more uh, at uh, localized fans, and that's fine if that's the way they want to do it. And uh, I really wish that there was something in place also when this launched for – folks like me to at least sign up somewhere and let them know. So uh, we had some discussion about it online and, and hopefully um, we shared some ideas and hopefully something, you know, a, a, a quick fix comes to help uh, alleviate this, the uh, people that get left out that don't live in and around Huntington. But I like the idea of the campaign. I really do. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's, something that can help, you know, get a little excitement going, right? You're driving sure. around town, you yep. see all the yard signs and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, it, you know, it's, everybody's more visibly showing their support in another way. I mean, of course, you're going to always see a lots of like garden flags and flags hanging on houses and everybody's got their like, welcome to the, you know, whoever's house, herd fans yeah. live here and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. But um, this is just one more way, one more way to do it, but hopefully in short order, um, a fix will come along to where people like me that live far out of state or, you know, not in a convenient spot to go pick up a yard sign can uh, participate in something like that. Yeah. I picked mine up on Friday. I do live here in Huntington, went and put it up immediately Friday afternoon. And it, it didn't hit me until Saturday night. Uh, we were all as a family just enjoying some really good porch sitting weather. And anyone that has a South side home or has been by the South side home, you know, you see a lot of big porches. My family of five was spread out all over that porch. My wife decided to get a, a photo from like the street or the sidewalk. And it just hit me when she posted that. And I looked at it. I had that sign in the yard. I've got a four foot or so wooden sign that says this home uh, cheers for the herd. Mm -hmm. I've got two different uh, signs. One, a metal sign of the outline of West Virginia with the Marshall logo logo in it hanging on the brick. And then another sign on the other side of the porch <laughs> for Marshall. And I was like, daggone, man, I got four things right there just on the porch. <laughs> you know, one, one right in front of the porch on the yard and those three on the porch. Uh, so if anybody driving by doesn't think that I am supporting Marshall University. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got it out in full force. And and you're not alone. And that's a great thing. You know, there you cannot go through Huntington. You could you could drive from Huntington one end, just one trip from end to end, and pass 
countless houses that are that exact same way. And that's something yeah. that you love about a, um, a, a legitimate college town, right? There's a, there's a total difference between a college town and a city where there's a college, like where I live, just outside of Tampa, USF is here. They don't have that. There, right. There's not USF stuff flying around. You know, sure. it's just, it's not that it, it's Buccaneers stuff and it's, and it's uh Tampa Bay lightning stuff. And every now and then you'll see a uh, Tampa Bay rays or something like that. But yeah. very rarely do you see USF stuff. You usually, if you see college stuff, it's the Gators or the Seminoles or the hurricanes or even UCF you hear uh, more so than USF where I see like Georgia Bulldog stuff a lot, or, you know, the, uh, the Crimson Tide, but, there's just there's just something special about a college town, and I think that's another draw of what is is so appealing about being part of the Sun Belt because we're a part of a lot of those towns again. You know, the Boone, North Carolinas, and that's right, and the um, um, like Statesboro, and you know, there there's yeah, like Georgia State's in Atlanta, and that's a little bit of an outlier, but there's like Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You know what I mean? It's it's smaller towns and that's what i like about it that's what makes college athletics so special it's the community that they're ensconced in just really take hold of their school and rally around them all the time 100 percent agree we're on the same page with everything about what's great about the sun belt and especially the east division of the sun belt yeah and you just look at those they are not a tv market grab that other conferences have tried and failed Yep. And it's not like all of a sudden it's going to work this time, you know, yep. no true. one, no one in, in Houston is tuning in in mass quantities to see rice just because right. rice is located in Houston. I mean, now they're competing against themselves because if anything, they're tuning in to see Houston. Sure. You know, not, not rice. Yeah. You no, know, Boca will never win the Miami market from Miami. It's That's never right. going to happen ever. So, I mean, get those TV markets all you want. Uh, I will take what we have and are getting ready to experience in the Sun Belt. Yep, I agree. This is is college football, baby. Yeah, let's get back to what's good about it. All right, so the final thing, number five, we've got men's and women's basketball. Uh, The Sun Belt released the full schedules for both. We are not going to go over every game, of course, for both of these, but – Let's talk a little bit about the quirks and nuances of uh, first. Let's hit the uh, the men's. I mean, the, if if you've looked at it, the thing that has to leap off the page at you is, I hope if you're a basketball fan, you have the majority of your free time to go to games in December and January, because yeah. if you're planning on going to a bunch of games in February, you're going to get one week to squeeze in two games. Otherwise, you're going on the road, and that is just mind-boggling to me that Marshall spends the months of December and January pretty much at home and the almost the entire month of February on the road. So that is a huge quirk right out of the gate. Also, Marshall doesn't have a four-game homestand at all through the entire season, but they do have a four-game away streak on the season, which is also kind of odd. So let's just chalk this up to what you were talking about with the football, just – quirkiness and trying to iron it out i imagine moving forward it will be a much better look because when we talk about the women's here in a minute it's it's more of what you think about when you think about a kind of even travel and home broken up schedule yeah more balance now it's it's uh 
also something to note that this is not the out of conference schedule, you know, so there will be more games in November and things before late December when this conference schedule kicks off. But it is more than, you know, my word quirky to say, hey, after January the 28th, we're going to have two home games and that's it. Yeah, that's rough, man. That's rough. Yeah, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six away games and two home games over the last eight games before the uh, conference tournament. Yeah, and, you know, we got into a little discussion about this with uh, some uh, Old Dominion folks, and, you know, they were talking about how brutal Marshall's schedule is, and, you know, you have to go – at least the, the the final series is, like, shorter, I guess, because they're both games are in Virginia, but you're closing the regular season out at Old Dominion, who always puts a good men's basketball team on the floor – Mm-hmm. And we talked about – I was talking about those guys like, man, I hope Marshall has it clicking early in the conference schedule because they're going to need to bolster some wins, in my opinion, in order to potentially go make a go of this late-season road swing, for yeah. lack of a better term, to, you know, maintain a lead or get – I mean, I'm sure they're going to win some of those games, but that is zero favors right there, having eight games or whatever you said on the road, six games on the road out of your final eight. Yeah, I mean, if you're in contention – Geez, that is just like a killer. You know, you need that that home stand real quick to get a breather and, you know, a little comfortability, and I'm sleeping in my own bed and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the Sunbelt didn't do the herd any favors in this inaugural basketball season, that's for sure. So that tells me the only thing you need to do is just go out and win the damn thing. Yeah. There's a home court advantage for a reason, and it's also a disadvantage on the road. And when you start thinking about travel, you know, do you – go there, come back, go to the next one, come back, you know, do you, since there's a, maybe a day in between, do you just travel to your next stop and wait? That's still very disruptive, you know? So it's not going to be very easy. The women's side, a little more balanced. Like you said, you've got, and this is conference only two away, then two home, then two away, then two home, then two away, then four home, then two away, then one home and then the final away. That's a much more balanced, in fact, sounds like it's more in favor of Marshall with a four-game homestand uh, between February the 2nd and February the 11th. Yeah, I mean, you get a yeah, you get a four-game homestand at some point throughout the season, which the men never get, and you never have a four-game road swing throughout yeah. the whole season, which the men do have. So that's Therein is the is the main difference. If you look at the men's schedule and and you break that up, you know you have one more home swing and and a and a road game or two earlier in the season. It's an even schedule, but that one little thing there in the month of February just makes it completely brutal. It wouldn't even be as brutal if the men were on the road in January versus February, yeah. Because at least you would have the the home court advantage to try to get it right for a late season push. But you know Tony Kemper might be. Uh, singing some joys here. This is a good, you know, even though they start out on the road, um, this is a favorable schedule. You would like to think they do get the, you know, to start February on a four game homestand and uh, you know, they get a little bit of time to try to get everything right. As far as on the floor, you know, we've seen the overhaul of the, of the program. So they're going to get a, a little bit of time to get it right, depending on what their out of conference looks like. 
but man, I mean, at least they're not coming out of the gate and like, you know, six games on the road uh, to start the Sun Belt or something like that. This is this is much more favorable than the men. So both of these schedules are are posted on Herd Zone. You can look at them um, if you want and try to dissect it a little bit more than we have. But you know, they're out there. One final note: uh, just about every game that you're going to see every week in the Sun Belt Conference is going to be a Thursday and a Saturday game. Uh, the men will end on a Wednesday, Friday final road trip, but all other games in the Sun Belt are Thursday, Saturday. And if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to look again, but all the women are Thursday and Saturday throughout the entire season. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that makes for a nice – yeah, everything I'm – it's the same setup. The The final homestand or the final two games are a Wednesday, Friday. Everything else is a Saturday, th- okay. Thursday, Saturday. So, yeah. All right. Well, that wraps us up for another five things every herd fan needs to know, as always, brought to you by Ignite Link. Awesome. Um, I really enjoyed the, uh, the 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 quick discussion there about the uh, football scheduling. I, I was interested to hear about some one thing we didn't talk about in that article. I want to do before as a nice segue into football here is. He uh, Christian Spears hinted at, you know, taking opportunities to see destination cities if they come along, you know, uh, like um, New Orleans or, you know, I can't remember what Memphis maybe he said. I don't know. But Nashville, uh, uh, he was talking about Middle Tennessee State. So he said Nashville. And then he also brought up New Orleans and (laughs) some other things from there. Well, let me go ahead and tell you that Murphy's bro ain't Nashville. <laughs> um, Vanderbilt is Nashville, but uh, if you're, you know, it's not a, it's not terribly far away granted, but if you're trying to say that middle Tennessee is Nashville, it ain't that chief. But. No, but I know uh, the reason I bring that up and I'm sure the reason it was mentioned in the article is I have several friends that went down there and they went and enjoyed Nashville. And yeah, yeah. Went over, went over to Murfreesboro for the game. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that that alluded to a Vanderbilt series. That would be a nice. That's an opponent that I would really, I really have wished for a long time that Marshall would be able to get on the schedule because that's a winnable, definitely a winnable SEC opponent. That's uh, travelable for fans in a really fun city, and you could. It would just be a fun trip all the way around. But anyway. Let's talk about football, shall we? We shall. It is, time, it is time to continue the series of position group breakdowns. This week, I told you we were going to be talking about wide receivers and tight ends, and we've got a slew of them. And as I dug in to these position groups, I started realizing some things that I hadn't realized before. This is kind of a tale of two position groups, and I'll tell you what I mean by that here in a minute. But let's start off with Uh, This unit, the receiving unit as a whole, which lumps in wide receivers and tight ends, is ranked tied for second in the Sunbelt Conference by our friend Phil Steele, tied with Louisiana, Troy, James Madison, and Arkansas State. But of all those schools that we are tied with at number two, everyone trails Old Dominion, by the way, uh, Marshall is the only one to receive a national ranking from Phil, number 58. So, are we really tied for two if they're not uh, nationally ranked two? I don't think so. I don't. I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way either. Uh, wide receivers, of course, of course, coached by first year wide receivers coach for the herd, uh, Joe Von Bonite came over from the University of Kentucky, hired back in February, uh, where he was wide receivers coach as well, and had stints with Oregon and Texas Tech. So when you think about speed, passing, and yardage, and racking up a lot of them through the air, those are some good schools to think about, specifically Texas Tech and Oregon. Uh, tight ends are, of course, coached by Bill Legg, which he has had a 
plenty of experience coaching with the herd. We don't need to get into that again, but um, Bill has coached tight ends in the past for the herd, not just been the offensive coordinator. So um, a unit that he's very, very familiar with and very familiar with at Marshall. Returning from the 2021 roster wide receivers, we have 11 wide receivers returning from the 2021 roster at the wide receiver position, yet only one tight end returning from 2021. Incoming from the 2022 class, uh, a pair of wide receivers and a pair of tight ends. Of course, there are some walk-ons and things of that nature that uh, aren't listed in the recruiting class list. Um, and transfers coming in one wide receiver and three tight ends. So do you see what I say when we're talking about a tale of two position groups? One returns a ton of talent from the 2021 roster, and one is basically a revamp, uh, You basically from gra- a combination of graduation and transfer. Uh, departing from the 2021 roster, the lone wide receiver gone, Willie Johnson. Uh, Big Willie style was here for what do we say like 38 years I think it was yeah I, I think he started under uh, um, Chomp oh George okay Chomp. Yeah. Well, I'm glad maybe, he maybe maybe perish I'm glad he finally exhausted his eligibility <laughs> um, I really hope Willie comes to a game because I would love to get him on a segment of the show at some point and do something that would be awesome just to get his per- perspective um, departing t- tight ends Xavier Gaines graduation Garrett Morrell through graduation and sophomore tight end Hayden Hagler hit the portal and on the roster last year but not on the roster this year currently as of today which is Sunday the whatever 17th when I was going down and double checking the roster is redshirt freshman tight end Amir Richardson was basically like tight end three or four last year and isn't currently on the roster so I don't know what's up with that I don't remember him hitting the portal but nonetheless he is not currently listed on the 2022 roster Russ, let's talk about projected starters and um, big-time contributors and then what I'm calling potential instant impact freshmen from the wide receivers. Then we'll get into tight ends. Uh, This is a great group to talk about, and I told you last week I was really excited to talk about wide receivers because I knew we were returning a lot. I had no clue we were returning 11. Um, But let's start at the top, right? And wide receiver Corey Gamage. Six foot four, 220 pound redshirt junior was the leading receiver for the herd last year, uh, both in receptions and receiving yards. Third team all conference USA. The stat line reads for Mr. Gamage 78 catches, 878 yards, and two touchdowns through the air in 13 games. Here's where it gets a little weird. As dangerous of a target as he is, as big of a body as he is, and the game breaking ability that he has. For some wild reason, he did not have a touchdown until game 10. And I remember thinking, that cannot be right. Every week, a game would go by, and we'd be like, man, he didn't get in the end zone. And it became a thing. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, we're 10 games in. And he finally got a touchdown. So let's hope that doesn't repeat itself in 2022. Uh, He only surpassed 100 yards receiving in one game last year, and that was when he piled up a massive 180 yards versus East Carolina way back in the beginning of the 2021 season. Uh, wide receiver Talit Keaton, six foot one, 184 pound redshirt junior, 19 catches for 268 yards and two touchdowns last year in only seven games. We've talked many times about Talit being dinged up. 
And it was almost to the tune of half of the season or really was half of the season. So having him back healthy uh, was going to be a big, big time weapon for the herd in the receiver core. And that's what I just piggybacking off of that. So Talik has 19 catches and two touchdowns. Corey Gamage leads the team with 78 catches, but only has two touchdowns. That's the that's the type of lethality that I like to see, you know, that I like watching Talik um, when he's on the field. That's that's just what he does for you as a wide receiver. He can make something happen in a quick, quick way. Uh, wide receiver Shadid Ahmed, the six foot, 172 pound redshirt junior, fourth leading receiver for the herd in 2021, 13 games. His stat line reads 38 catches for 463 yards and three touchdowns through the air, which was tied for the team lead in 2021. Little head scratch in there, but that is three receiving touchdowns was tied for the team lead. And of those three players with three touchdowns, Shadid Ahmed is the only one returning. And then lastly, projected starter, a wide receiver Brian Robinson, a guy that we are really, really excited about based off of what we saw in spring ball. Six foot one, 207 pound redshirt sophomore, the Florida State transfer. Um, during the green and white game, we saw real flashes of what this guy can do. And when you start to pair him with guys like Corey Gamage, Talit Keaton, Shadita Med, Jaden Harrison, and the myriad of other guys that we're going to talk about here in a minute, you start to see how Marshall can really. Uh, put in several different types of packages. And if you go five wide or you want to go four wide and Ollie out of the backfield, it starts to get very, very, very scary for a defensive coordinator. And uh, it, it, this, you know, for years leading up to this, I remember doing position group breakdowns and we talk about, is this a year Marshall has a deep wide receiver core? Is this the year that it's not a concern, a position of concern? And for, a number of years, even up to last year, I felt like it was a position of concern. We had the players. We just weren't seeing the results. And this year, I finally feel like we have the players. We have the potential to have the results. And it's just a matter of what the offense is going to look like. Uh, big time contributors. I'm hoping, I'm hoping they're going to be big time contributors. Uh, got a, we'll see one, two, three, four, five guys. We're going to talk about real quick. Of course, wide receiver Jaden Harrison, a 5'11", 193-pound redshirt sophomore, 23 catches, 254 yards, a couple of touchdowns in 13 games last year. All we know about Jaden Harrison is he's the fastest guy on the team. He's wicked dangerous in the return game. And if that translates to a bigger role in the wide receiver uh, category, then great. Um, wide receiver Caleb McMillan, a 6'3", 215-pound redshirt junior, uh, just four catches for 50 yards last year in 12 games, but hey, you got to emerge sometime, and this is a great time to emerge because with a build 6'3", 215, you got to like that. The only other guy with that type of build on the roster right now is Corey Gamage, is 6'4", 220. So give me a 6'3", and a 6'4", guy on the field at the same time. I like my odds. Um, wide receiver EJ Horton, 6'175", pound redshirt sophomore, four catches for 59 yards and a touchdown last year in only six games. Another one of those guys that came in highly recruited, kind of paying your dues type thing, take your opportunities when you get them. Um, a guy that I'm expecting to see the field a hell of a lot more in 2022. And he's proven he can make some yardage and get into the end zone for you. So given more opportunity, I project that those numbers are going to go higher, of course. So um, a guy that I'm actually excited about to see uh, the developmental leap potentially this year. Equally as excited to see the the developmental leap is a guy that I've talked about for a number of years. 
that has either just been buried on the depth chart or paying his dues a little bit or saving that year, getting the red shirt in so that we can have an extra year in Kelly Green and White. And that is wide receiver Caleb Coombs. I've been really excited about this guy for a couple of years now. Five foot 11, 184 pounds, just one catch for 17 yards last year, only played in four games. That's why I think it was the saving the red shirt type of thing. Um, and then, of course, Russ, your guy. We're going to end it off here with the last potential big time contributor, what you call the microwave. We can't go any farther than Stone Scarcelli. The sixth-year senior, six foot one, one hundred and ninety-eight pounder, eight catches for one hundred and twenty-two yards in eight games last year, and I loved when you said that. You brought back the old Vinnie Johnson nickname, the microwave, because why? Things immediately get heated up when he's there. He <laughs> he, he heats it up immediately. I love that, and you know, Stone is one of those guys that, uh, like I said, he only had eight game, he only appeared in eight games last year, but man, when he gets in. There's always that eye-popping catch or that circus catch or this unbelievable acrobatic move. And I think it was North Texas last year that he had that unbelievable grab, one-handed grab. Um, and that's the that's just the kind of thing, right? The dude comes to work and does his job, and he's been doing it for six years. I mean, I would love to see him just go freaking off one time, just go and off. And if you don't count Caleb Coombs' one reception, which gave him an average of 17 uh, yards per catch, Willie Johnson had 19.5 to lead the team. And then after that, Stone, Car Stone Scarcelli right there, 15.3. So every time he's stretching the field, he's making circus catches, you can't ask for somebody coming off the bench to do more than him. And again, he heats it up immediately. <laughs> the microwave. That's great, man. I hope he hears that, and I hope he embraces that because uh, that's just a cool nickname. Uh, let's talk about a couple of what I'm calling potential instant impact freshmen. There are a number of freshmen on the roster this year, but these are two guys that I'm spotlighting that I think uh, have the potential to make some waves a little bit. Might have might show some flashes. You know, I'm, I'm not projecting them to come in and be first team all conference. Are the tools there? Sure. But I'm just saying like this, is, you have the potential to make a few waves here to raise some eyebrows for the following season. And let's start with Cam Pedro, the five foot 11, 165 pound freshman. Now look, Marshall doesn't have his height and weight on herd zone. So that is from his 24 seven sports profile. I fully expect that he probably weighs more than 165 now. Um, former three star prospect from Swanee, Georgia. Got the Marshall bloodline, dude. Uh, Glenn Pedro, eighth all-time leading rusher for the herd, 2,724 yards, tied for the seventh all-time when rushing touchdowns with 31 and fourth all-time for the herd in rushing attempts with 629. You got to like that. Uh, what, you get those second-generation herd players, and, and this is just another one that's in the in the group this year, you know, with the, the Penningtons and, and – um, uh, who else was there? Was somebody else I was thinking of that? Anyway, I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, uh, last potential instant impact freshman Antonio Robinson, six foot three, one eighty five. Again, big body, gotta like the height. You talked about um, changing the measurables at a number of positions, and this is one of those positions that hasn't had to see that yet because we keep returning so many guys. So we're starting to see, you know in these recruiting classes, a little bit of, a little bit of height. So um, six foot three, 185, former three-star prospect from Melissa, Texas. 
Uh, was a prep school prospect, number six overall in the country, prep school prospect, number one wide receiving prep school prospect in the 2022 class. So definite potential there for instant impact as a freshman. Um, Russ, let's talk about these tight ends. I'll give you the rundown real quick, and then we'll get into positives and negatives, and then we'll keep it rolling. Um, the only tight end returning from the 2021 roster who I, of course, am projecting as my starter is tight end Devin Miller, six foot three, 224 pounds, sixth year senior, 10 catches for 89 yards last year and one touchdown in only 10 games. If you'll remember, he suffered what was a gruesome elbow yeah. injury. And I think that was also against North Texas. I'm not 100%, but I think that was against North it Texas. It was. And man, I thought that was career ending. I did. I thought it was yeah. career ending. And lo and behold, just a few weeks later, there he was back in uniform. And I thought, my Lord, this dude is tough as nails. Yes. You know, uh, that's one of those, that's one of those injuries. And I don't want to dwell on this, but that's one of those injuries that of course, you know, you're, you're never expecting for something like that to happen on television, but it's like an instant, like squeamish moment for me. I can't stand body parts that bend the way they're not supposed to bend. And, uh, you know, immediately went to social media and was like, oh, man, you know, my my heart goes out to Devin. I know that I hope wishing for a speedy recovery and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, a couple weeks later, bam, right back on the sideline. Really excited to see how he can close out his Marshall career. Um, ninth leading receiver for the herd in 2021. And of course, a lot of the guys above him are off the roster. So if you do the do the math, you know, he he would have he would have accounted for probably like maybe six most with the guys that departed for graduation or whatnot. And then it turns into a real newcomer movement for the herd at tight end. Uh, so I really don't know what we're going to do here, right? We, we don't know. Nobody has any stats of any, uh, any marked success anywhere. It's a, it's a lot of transfers. It's a lot of freshmen. So it's, it's tough, but we're going to give it a go. Um, guys that are going to have to contribute in some way from the tight end position, tight end, Stacy Marshall, Jr. Six foot five, 250 pound red shirt, senior. First of all, love that six foot five, 250. Love that. Uh, I hope you can move bodies in the blocking game and help, uh, LeBorn and Ali and Payne and all these guys make some waves in the run game. If. You also can't stretch the field a little bit. I hope you can. He's a transfer from Arizona, appeared in five games in 2021. Couldn't really find any statistics. I looked all over, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, tight end Marcus Velez, another huge body, six foot six, 235-pound red shirt sophomore. It's a JUCO guy from Nassau Community College. Um, I couldn't really find any stats on them either. The I went to the Nassau Community College football page and looked up stats, and it and the most recent stats I could get were from 2019. They didn't yeah, have any. He, he was from Stony Brook, right. too. Yeah, yeah. So I think he he came out of high school uh, apparently and went to Stony Brook and then went the JUCO route. But six six two thirty five has been in and out of some strength programs. So you know you would like to think there's a good baseline there, uh, a nice a nice um, moldable. Um, pile of clay for Bill Leg to turn into a real weapon. And, uh, you know, 6'5", six, 6'5", five, six, five. and the third guy we're going to talk about, Ramad Smith, 6'5". I mean, hey, you got to love this transfer. 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, and 6'5". Uh, Smith, 6'5", 243, redshirt junior, transferred over from FAU. 
Uh, again, no real stats of any import. I looked over at the FAU site and, you know, it was very much like worked out with the scout team set out in 2020, then back with the, the team in 2021. And, you know, so these are all guys that are going to have to contribute somehow, some way in order for us to see any marked success from the tight end position. It's a position that Marshall has thrived in for a number of years. When you start naming names of tight ends past, I mean, the Cody Slates and the Lee Smiths and the Gator Hoskins and the Ryan Urecheks, I mean, <laughs> Xavier Gaines, I mean, you know, Armani Levias, I could go on and go on. Marshall has made a, made a name for itself in the tight end position over the past decade or more. So, we got to have uh, more than one that's that's going to be able to put up production numbers. Now, let's talk about some potential instant impact freshmen, and I got a couple of them as well from the tight end position. Toby Payne, that name might sound familiar to you. Six foot five, two hundred and twenty five pound freshman from Polka, the Dots, uh, former three star prospect and the number two overall prospect in the state of West Virginia in twenty twenty two. He's a first team All Stater. From the tight end position in 2021, well, as a utility player in 2021, but get this, in 2019 and 2020, he was also first-team All-State as a defensive back. How about that? Uh, brother Ethan Payne, of course, is on the herd roster as a running back. Hey, this guy could come in and be gangbusters right out of the gate. You know, these guys, a lot of West Virginia football fans, high school football fans are going to be really, really familiar with what the Payne brothers did at POCA. And they know what they're capable, what he's capable of doing for the for the herd. Could be the guy that just comes in and, and rocks it. You know, Ryan Yurchek had a great year as a freshman. Um, Payne could be the next guy to come in and have a great year as a freshman. Maybe he'll come in and bring the pain. That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, last guy we're going to talk about is an instant impact freshman, potentially is Sean Salas, a six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounder. Again, that's his twenty four seven sports profile. Could easily weigh more than 220 right now. Uh, he's from Carrollton, Texas, a former three-star prospect as well. Number 55 overall tight end nationally by 24-7 and chose uh, Marshall over uh, a handful of Power 5 schools, including Georgia Tech, Maryland, and Minnesota. Arkansas State out of the Sun Belt, and there were a handful of others as well. So I like the size. You bring in two young guys, 6'4 and 6'5, 220, some, probably somewhere between 225 and 235. Um I mean, let's go. We got to do something here with this tight end, uh, this tight end room, or it's it's going to be a a detriment. But Phil still must have talked to the right people. If this is rated the number two overall unit in the Sun Belt, with the receiver with the receivers and tight ends lumped together, they must know something we don't know yet. So there's definitely star power potential on the roster at tight end, but we'll just see how it all plays out. Russ. Let's talk about some strengths. We're going to lump them back together, okay? Wide receivers and tight ends, we'll just call it the receiving core as a whole. What do you got for some strengths or your first strength of this receiving unit? Big play ability. Now, when I say that, a couple of these players uh, from these stats from last year are gone. However, the receiving unit, yards like the the long for each of these players Corey Gamage 64 uh Xavier Gaines 56 he's gone Shadid Ahmed 47 Willie Johnson 65 he's gone Jaden Harrison 45 Talit Keaton 47 Sheldon Evans 56 he's gone he's also a running back uh Ali was on there of course he's still here but he's a running back 
Uh, Devin Miller is a tight end, 20. Stone Scarcelli, 45. EJ Horton, 30. Uh, I mean, it's just long play after long play after long play. So, to me, huge strength that we have many different guys, not just one home run threat. We have many different guys that can stretch the field. So, I'm going to speak to that a little bit because we know that's a that's a, like a double-ended um, stat, right? Because you have to have the quarterback that can make that throw. And, of course, I think we have a quarterback on the roster that can do that, obviously. But we know that we struggled in years past with overthrown balls. So the potential was there to see even more of those happen. It just didn't work out for whatever reason. But what that does tell me is that these receivers can find a way to get open because not every single one of these is a blown coverage, right? You're not always relying on the defender to fall down. So we do have playmakers on the roster that can get open. They can go up and get that contested 50-50 ball. And with another year under their belt, and with, you know, guys coming back healthy, you would like to think that we might see even more of that. So I love that as a strength. My first strength overall is the extreme depth at wide receiver. I mean, we're going to be able to take some lumps and still be able to pack the field with four to five more than capable wide receivers. And I'm talking about the, you know, you, you get dinged up and there's two guys out. Well, your seventh wide receiver becomes your fifth. And I still think our seventh wide receiver is going to be able to stretch the field and make the plays and move the chains and do all those sort of things. So the extreme depth at wide receiver for me is a huge breath of fresh air. And I'm really glad that I get to talk about that as a strength of this unit. It hasn't been that way for a while. And now it is. That uh, are you finished with that? Yeah, I'm finished. All right. So that was my number two strength. So I'll just continue it. Uh, the returning players, uh, you know, I didn't in my head think that it was 11 until, you know, we started looking at it, but, um, the starters returning, you know, yeah, you're out Willie Johnson on the speaking of wide receivers only not, not Xavier Gaines on the tight end, but the ones that we are returning are, not just first-year uh, players last year that made starters. I mean, we've got guys that have now started. This will be maybe their third year. Or, you know, this will be their fourth year. So, a depth and experience was my number two. Yeah, it, it's finally a good problem to have. Uh, my number two is the combination of size and speed that we have at wide receivers specifically. Uh, these guys are um, a lot of them are burners and some of them are tall and some of them are tall burners. So I like the ability that we have, and that's going to lead into my third strength here in a moment, but just the sheer combination of size on the outside and speed in the inside and potentially on the outside, there's no, there's no rule that says you can't line, you know, um, to leak or Shadid out both of them wide and have Corey, in the in the slot there's no rule that says you can't do that now you know that's that's i don't get paid to make those decisions but i'm just saying the combination of of size and speed that we have is pretty apparent and it's something to be excited about if you're a herd fan if, if we have a quarterback that can just take advantage of the skill set at those positions man we could be really really dangerous as a passing game my uh, third and final strength was the diverse options that we had 
as far as lineups would go or formations would go. You mentioned earlier going four wide, and I just kind of, before you had mentioned that, like earlier in the day when I was thinking about the, the receiving core, not labeling someone as an X, a Y, or a Z, but having Gamage on the outside on one side, Brian Robinson on the outside on the other side, and in the middle on both sides, Shadid Ahmed and Talik Keaton in kind of like the slot or what someone would normally call a, a Y or a Z. Without labeling all these people, you've got diversity that you could put someone like you just mentioned on the outside, they would be just as comfortable on the inside. I think that is going to give a lot of different three wide receivers with a tight end and a single back set, four wide receivers and a single back set, two uh, running backs, three wide receivers. We've got just so many different formations that I'm looking forward to. Don't know that we're going to do that but I kind of have a feeling that we will, that we'll just be looking at different formations, different sets, and just like keeping the defenses guessing on what are, what are they going to do now? Because we have so many weapons. Yeah. That's actually my third strength is the flexibility that we have on offense, the, depending on what type of game we need to play. And you talk about, you know, going four wide with a one back set. Well, who's to say you can't, motion Ali out of the backfield and then line him up and all of a sudden you're five wide and you're like, what, what, what the hell, what, what yeah. just happened here? You know, because let's not forget Rasheen Ali was the second leading receiver on the team last year, as far as receptions go. So he's a real weapon and he doesn't have to come out of the backfield per se. He can motion out of the backfield and line up at receiver. And now who's going to cover the guy, you know, who, who's going to cover the guy. So the flexibility that's potentially there is off the charts. Uh, one other point that I'd like to make, is when you line up guys, if you decide to go four wide, five wide, whatever, what are the chances? What are the chances that your fourth corner is better than our fourth wide receiver? Sure. I would say that those odds are extremely low in the favor of the D or extremely, yeah, extremely low. Uh, like those, those odds have to favor the herd. And I, if that's the route you want to take, fine. But I, I mean, I also tend to think that you know, our number one guy, by and large, will mostly be better than the number one corner for a lot of these teams. Not everyone, but a lot of them. Um, it's it's just hard to match up with the sides of, you know, 6'4", 220. It's hard to match up with the speed of a Talit Keaton or a Shadid Ahmed. It's, it's hard to game plan for the sheer ability of some of these guys just to get open. They don't have to run past you. We've We've seen Many, many times in years past, other wide receivers for the herd have just had the knack of getting open and finding the void in the defense and moving the chains. That's equally as important as being able to run right past a guy and go, you know, 60 yards of the house or something. Uh, weaknesses, Russ, what do you got for some weaknesses for this overall unit? All right. So way back when we were doing uh, leading up to the spring game, I listed wide receivers as a concern for me and you were kind of taken aback by that because you said exactly what you said just now is we have kind of all this depth and stuff. The reason that I said that, and I kind of tried to explain it back then, maybe I can articulate it a little further now. We had Corey Gamage with 78 receptions and a 67.5 per game average. After that, it fell off to Willie Johnson, 48.1 average and he's gone 
we had a couple of players in the 30s. Talik Keaton, 38.3 per game yardage average. Shadid Ahmed, 35.6 per game, 37.2. Xavier Gaines, and he's gone. Mm -hmm. So we have these weapons. But when you start looking at the per game average, what I had mentioned was my concern was the consistency week in, week out, that we didn't have guys that, and I know Talik Keaton was out for half of the year, but we didn't have guys that were getting 120 in one week and then being shut down or disappearing in the other. You can still put that on quarterback. You can put that on gameplay. It wasn't needed. Uh, he was a decoy, several different things. But I would love to see more consistency to where we don't have 35 yards per game being our second leading receiver mm -hmm. and that is my weakness is that i would like to see the diversity and flexibility that we have especially adding in brian robinson and having talik keaton healthy that we see several guys in the 50 yards per game mold i feel like we we spread it around so much last year probably out of necessity, but I would like to see more consistency. And I, I agree with that. Actually, my number one weakness, if you, if you want to call it that, I don't know it. We don't have a wide receiver that has emerged as a clear cut wide receiver one threat from a stat standpoint, just like you're talking about. You don't go into a game going, all right, we know, that Tyree Brady's going to go for a buck 10 and he's going to find the end zone twice. We know that's going to happen. Yeah. We don't have that guy right now. And you might look at me and go, you know, KD, Corey Gamage had 880 yards last year. What do you mean he's not the wide receiver? Yeah, but he only found the end zone twice. So mm -hmm. what's the trade-off, right? You you can't have nearly a thousand yards but never find the end zone because that's that's uh, only a concern up to a, a certain level, like the red zone. You know what I mean? And you're like, okay, well, Gamage for whatever reason doesn't get into the end zone. So we can focus elsewhere. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, until you can go into a game week in and week out and, and a defensive coordinator goes, we have to stop that guy before we stop anybody else. That's what I'm talking about. They, we have to – it would be – not. I don't, do we have to have it? No. Would it be nice to know that we've got a premier weapon and he just balls out every Saturday? And these defensive coordinators know we have to stop that guy or he's going to shred us regardless that's really the most glaring weakness to me and we, we spread it around and we win games but we were a 500 ball club last year so yeah. where do the changes have to occur i don't really know i would hope that you know a lot of those wins start to slide into the left hand column by a reduction in turnovers you know we've talked about that a lot a lot of interceptions you know just whatever the case may be if some of those go away then you know, maybe a game here and a game there, you get an extra stop on defense in the second half of a game, and, you know, you thwart a 17-point comeback. It just, you know, these are situational things. But it would be nice to have one of those guys, whether it's Corey or, or Shadid or Talik or, you know, whoever, whoever steps up and is like, this is my, this is my time to shine. I'm going to average – 100 yards a game or close to 100 yards a game this year. This this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the premier receiver in the Sun Belt. That's, that's my game. That's what I'm doing. 
Yeah, and to speak on that slightly a little bit further because I focused on uh, average yards per game, but receptions per game, if you do the math, Shadid Ahmed would be your number one or number two returning wide receiver in that category. And he had just shy of three receptions per game, 38 receptions in 13 games. Talit Keaton had 19 receptions in seven games. He's just shy of three per game. So three receptions a game, it's hard to put up major stats Sure is. As far as 100 yards and a touchdown or two. If you're getting three receptions and you're doing 100 yards and one touchdown, I would say that you're probably elite. <laughs> but we're not getting that. And my point is, you know, maybe out of necessity last year, maybe it was quarterback, maybe it was the call on the field by the offensive coordinator, whatever it was, we had to check down to Ali quite a bit we had to spread the ball around quite a bit we had a lot of guys on the receiving list i mean we had one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen different players catching a ball last year so yeah i would like to see more consistency and again i don't want to beat this dead horse but someone has to break out someone has to be that threat and i feel like the addition of a healthy keaton and bringing brian robinson over prevents people from locking down one wide receiver so someone is just going to have to do it and it may be a different person week in and week out based on the players they're up against or the opportunities that present themselves. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, what we're doing is we're sitting here talking about wanting to see one guy or two guys really go off. And then we're talking about how the addition of some guys may prevent the defense from focusing on one guy, which then lends itself to spreading the ball around more like we see, but spreading it around is, is fine. But if we, you can't have, I wouldn't imagine you would, it's not ideal to see your top, you know, two-ish, three-ish guys only averaging three to four catches a game. I'm sure you oh, would man. much rather see them up around the seven, eight, nine, you know, receptions per game because that then puts you a little easier to get in the neighborhood of 100 yards per game. Yeah. Uh, do you have a second weakness? I do. The lack of experience on the depth chart after Devin Miller. Oh, man, now, copying my paper over here. Well, it, it wasn't like I needed the James <laughs> – the James Webb telescope to make this observation. Yeah. Uh, I like the fact that we brought in not only the recruits because you absolutely have to replenish, you know, if you uh, lose a couple and you're down to one, obviously you need to recruit there. But again, Huff hit the portal. He brought in some size. He brought in some experience that has been through the weight room so they can step in worst case scenario as blockers, you know, as tight ends. Um, there's a lot of unknown though, that we're going to see from the, from the tight end you're looking at, and I'm, I'm not suggesting history would repeat itself with a, a horrible injury, uh, or anything, but any kind of injury, just getting dinged up, having mm-hmm. to take a breath when your number one tight end is out, even for a player to, you're putting in someone that did not 
participate on the Marshall roster in any meaningful way last year. Well, it's not just the Marshall roster. None of these guys have any collegiate stats of any import that I could even find. Now, I'm going to put a question mark beside of uh, Velez because I couldn't find stats after 2019 at that JUCO, which is weird to me. But, you know, I went to the Arizona website. I went to the FAU website, and there was there was really no stats to be found on these on these guys. So that's exactly my second concern as well. And it, and I said, it's Miller and question marks. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but there it's questions. Like, what do we have? We don't know what we have. We, we think we, uh, I mean, we have trust in our coaches to have gone out and found guys that can contribute to the herd in a meaningful way. But until that happens, we don't know that we have that, right? That's, that's, that's fair to say. So it's Devin Miller and, question marks now if we get one or two guys or three guys to start making some waves and rise above in that tight end room that concern just disappears it goes away but until we see it we have to question it because we don't know if we have anything what if we don't what if if it's Devin Miller and that's it you know they're they're on the roster but nobody's doing anything that's a worst case scenario so you know just being able to answer that depth question at tight end will alleviate a lot of concern for me, of course, in that area. If one or two guys, even if it's one of the freshmen, even if it's Payne or Salas that come in are like, hey, I'm taking these reins and I'm running with it, dude. This is this is my show. Um, because they're, let's face it, some of these guys are upperclassmen already. You got a grad transfer and a JUCO guy there, and you know, you're going to get them for a year or two years, and then it's going to be the Payne and Salas show anyway. So no time like the present. The opportunity is there for you to play early and, and rise above immediately. So you might as well try to do that. Uh, let's talk about some uh, some questions. Who is it that you're most excited to see in 2022 from the receiving core? Brian Robinson. And it is not just because he's a transfer from Florida State. You know, we, we had years and years ago, everyone got uh, up in arms in a good way when Willie Korn transferred from Clemson and, you know, immediately we anointed him as the next best quarterback to hit Marshall it doesn't matter that someone comes from a big time program that they are automatically going to be a world beater, mm-hmm. but we saw what he could do on a very limited scale in the spring game. We know that he has the intangibles and in everything with the combination of the body control, the hands, uh, the speed, the size. It's not just that, Hey, he signed at a, p5 school and he washed out now he's here it wasn't that at all i am so excited to see him and a lot of it is not just what he would do himself but like i said before his presence on the field means that you can't focus on Corey gamage and shutting him down if those are your two outside receivers so i'm looking at what he would bring overall to this unit and that is by far who i'm looking forward to see the most good choice uh, my favorite to or who i'm most excited to see about uh for the 2022 season is uh the return of a healthy talik keaton i really have enjoyed him playing the last couple of years even though last year was shortened uh, but he just brings a level of excitement and um game break ability that is fun to watch. It's just fun. So if he's back to a hundred percent, 
I'm really excited to see what he can do against a lineup of fresh defenses that, uh, you know, a couple of them have seen him. Well, one of them has seen him, but uh, I, I think he's just electric. He's lightning in a bottle and he can hurt you in multiple phases. We've talked about his punt return ability and I tried not to let that creep into my decision, but I got to be honest with you. It did because if he's returning kicks or, or returning punts, I mean, then that just adds to the level of excitement that I get to enjoy with him on the field. So I'm most excited to see to Keaton in 2022. Who do you think it is the hardest to replace of who departed from last year? I would say Xavier Gaines uh, because it's between him and Willie. And I felt like Xavier Gaines had that flexibility of being a hybrid kind of a player. We saw glimpses of what he could do. I mean, they even put him in our version of the Wildcat a, a few times in his career here. That is something that brings you back to like the Cody slate was a tight end by all accounts, but he was just a matchup nightmare. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't feel like that we have that matchup nightmare from the tight end. We've got a more traditional tight end in Devin Miller right now. So to me, that would be something, a stretch the field home run threat from the tight end position. It would be much harder to replace than a, a diminutive but a burner Willie Johnson and that came down to a tough decision for me as well and I chose ultimately Xavier Gaines as well because of that flexibility and a lot of the things that he was able to do didn't show up on a stat sheet you know he yeah. would garner coverages that left other people open and at the same time he would run right down the seam and burn you for 50 yards so we saw him from the, you know, running plays, passing. We saw him receiving. I mean, he was just a mismatch nightmare. And until I'm – I mean, I don't know how you prove me wrong. I'm not asking anybody to prove me wrong. But I will continually think of him as one of the most, if not the most, underutilized versatile weapons that Marshall has ever had. And I kept waiting for him to break out in a huge way somehow. And it just seemed like we could never find the right way to exploit his skill set. And um, I hate that because every year we would be excited about, oh, is he going to have, you know, a thousand all-purpose yards or something crazy like that? And, you know, it just, I don't know, every, every week, every few weeks we talk about like God, he just they're not utilizing him and I hate that his career is over and he's in he's exhausted his eligibility because I think if he had one more year he would thrive in this offense we're putting together right now I think that would be like a true like kind of a missing link type thing we wouldn't be talking about Devin Miller and everybody else you know what do we got there we know what we'd have there and then you couple that with Robinson coming in and, and the guys coming back healthy and you know, and Gamage and Shadid and Jaden Harrison coming in, being the fastest dude on the roster. And, you know, we talk about all these guys. That would that would be something super special. Uh, who do you got as your breakout player in 2022? This was so hard for me. And ultimately, I kept going back to the same exact person, the same exact person. And ultimately, I selected Brian Robinson. Um but I have to give a couple of honorable mentions. I've, I've not done that yet on any of our breakdowns, but 
I kept going back and thinking about Jaden Harrison being a breakout because he's so fast and electric and we saw what he can do uh, in the return game, even though that's not a, you know, part that we're looking at, you know, but that shows you what he can do in the open field. Um, and I also have somebody that I'll talk about more on my hot take, but okay. uh, I'm going with Brian Robinson on breakout. And I think that I've mentioned everything that I need to about why I believe he's going to break out. Uh, he too is also my breakout player for 2022 uh, because I, I, I'm like you, everything you've said, I echo. And I think all the tools are there. If, if the chemistry with QB one, whoever that may be is there, this could be a really special weapon and a really special one, two, three, four, five punch that Marshall is bringing on offense uh, with the with the wide receivers in general. But I'm just uh, excited to see what he brings to the table, the dynamic that he can bring to this offense, the wrinkles that we're able to incorporate because we have another, you know, um, true outside weapon. Uh, not that Keaton and, and Ahmed haven't made waves in those areas, but – it, it'll be nice to let those guys try to move inside a little bit and, you know, finagle their way through defenses and see if linebackers can keep up with Talit Keaton. <laughs> or or the nickelback is as good as Talit Keaton is. I don't think so, you know? Not the, not the band, because <laughs> they're not as good as anyone. <laughs> but I, too, gave an honorable mention, and, again, this might raise some eyebrows, right? And I don't mean this in a negative way. But I would like to see Corey Gamage break out. I'd like yeah. to see him eclipse a thousand yards. I'd like to see him get, you know, eight, nine, ten receiving touchdowns this year to to quiet those talkers like me who are like, why has he got 880 yards and only two touchdowns? You know, yeah. that I mean, I, I know that's probably an anomaly, but it's a weird stat to go 10 games without finding the end zone and you're the leading receiver in both receptions and yardage. Like that's just so weird to me. Um so those are my guys, right? Uh, Brian Robinson and Corey Gamage. At the end of the season, who do you think is going to be the MVP of the receiver core? Corey Gamage. And I believe that his size, his experience, a lot of what you just said about him breaking out, I feel like uh, last year was an anomaly to put the performance together that he did and not hit the end zone. So I don't think it's something that, He's got the yips and he can't find the end zone. I feel like he's going to find it plenty this year. Mm -hmm. And he's a, a matchup nightmare for anybody with his size. So I, I'm going with uh, Corey Gamage being our MVP leading the group. Well, I said that once before, you know, you can't teach six foot four, 220. Yeah. You, you can't teach that. You can teach better route running. You can teach, you can work on uh, catching and receiving drills and, all that kind of stuff, but you just cannot teach six foot four two twenty. If you could, I'd love to know where they're putting that class on because I'd like to take part in it. But uh, it's a great pick. I'm going back to Mister Talik Keaton again. Uh, in a healthy year, in an in a season where we might see him get to exploit the middle of the field a little bit more and throw in a little bit of the outside deep game a little bit too. Um, back potentially running punts. I know or returning punts. I know that's not really what we're talking about, but at, at the end of the season, he could be the MVP of the year based on where he may get to match up with defenses. And 
I like what his skill set, I like what his game-breaking ability brings when you start working the middle of the field and then throwing in the outside ball every now and then. I think this is setting up to be really nice if he can stay healthy and take advantage of some of the other athletes that we have on the field, sucking away some of the coverages, and guys will be forced to go one-on-one with athletes like him. I like him in most, if not all, of those matchups, right? So I think at the end of the year, Talit Keaton's going to be my guy's MVP. All right, hot take time. You said uh, you were going to lead into something or expound on something a little bit more, so what's that hot take? All right, my hot take is that by the end of the year, going into the bowl game, that Sean Salas will be the starting tight end. Oh, okay. That's really off the radar for me. Do you do you have any gut feeling as to why, or you're just throwing that out there? You're just taking a flyer on a hot take. No, it's – well, a little bit of it is a flyer, of course, since, you know, he's coming in as a freshman. Yeah. You know, for all we know, he could redshirt, not play, you know. Right. So, of course, it's a bit of a flyer. But – the intangibles that he has, the size that he has, uh, the speed. He he had committed to UConn, and, uh, you know, I kind of feel like our program is above UConn in all facets of everything when you're talking about college football. But I feel like he was one of those guys that should have always been recruited higher than he was. I feel like he was an under-the-radar extreme get for us and that after he decommitted from UConn had he not been so solid from us that a bigger program probably would have came in and got him so I feel like we really got a great player uh, I've been high on him since uh, that time in between him decommitting and that he was looking uh, at us as a possibility and I just really really feel like we're going to have to have someone step up because Devin Miller will be gone no matter what after this year. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're not going to throw someone to the wolves in week one, week two, week three, but we will see someone naturally be getting more playing time as this season goes on to prepare them. And I feel like he's going to be that breakout in the tight end group that will possibly not taking anything away from Devin Miller, but possibly pass him by the end of the year more so because of, Hey, Devin's not going to be here next year. We're not really using our tight end as a weapon right now anyway. Uh, And that would give us more of a, without seeing him play at a collegiate level, someone that would be more of a hybrid in the Xavier Gaines category than a Devin Miller is. Uh, that's an interesting theory, and, and it's one that I can actually get behind when you start to articulate it. And I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit because you said not going to throw somebody to the Wolves in week one. Well, I actually think that's the perfect time to do it because you're playing Norfolk State. So if you come out and you're on fire, how long are you going to play your first string? You know, not very long. You know, if you're if by the end of the third quarter, you you would probably think you're going to see some of these guys get an opportunity to separate themselves. Well, that's two different things. That's not not exactly what I was talking about. I'm saying that no matter what he does in uh, summer practice, uh, fall practice, getting ready to 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 go into the season. I'm saying that they don't name him as the starter and put him above Devin Miller. Oh, yeah. Game one. For sure. I'm saying that he gets brought along. He plays every game. 
I'm just saying that he won't be the starter game one, throw him to the wolves in that fashion. Yeah, no, I I fully understand that as well. And let's let's face it, Miller's been here six years. He's earned the right to be tight end one. He's the only he guy is. returning from 2021. He's bounced back from big injury, and he's made clutch plays for the herd in years past. His, his stats don't have to blow you away, but if if you can go back and go, oh yeah, man, he converted that third down when we really needed, or he caught that late game touchdown. Yeah, he he's made plays for us in the past, so he's. Yep. Earn the right to be your starting tight end moving into the season. But, yeah, uh, week one, I foresee the herd coming out and hopefully just putting a butt whooping on Norfolk State early and often so that we can try to get early season development for some of these younger guys. Sure. Uh, my hot take is that the herd will have its first 1,000-yard receiver since all the way back in 2018 when Tyree Brady went for 1,002 yards. And I know it doesn't seem like that long, but those years start to creep away when you don't have them. And when I went back to look, I was kind of surprised that I had to go all the way back to 2018. And I was even more surprised that Tyree Brady only eclipsed the the, uh, mark by two yards. (laughs) But still counts. So that's my hot take. Somebody's going to do it. I know Corey Gamage came close, but he still did not get there. And we're talking about spreading the ball around to all these guys, but somebody is going to eclipse the thousand yard mark for the first time since 2018. Russ, we have just wrapped up a very, very interesting position group breakdown. Uh, I think both of us learned quite a bit on the fly just there. So I hope that our listeners enjoy that one as well, because that was a fun one to talk about. Next week, we will continue uh, the series with, Defensive backs. Okay, we're going to be talking about defensive backs next week. But for now, Russ, let's take it around the herd. All right. Around the herd, we don't have a whole lot going on right now. I mean, there's always stuff going on in uh, martial sports and the athletics. But over the summer months, before you start getting to football practice and things like that, there's not a lot going on. However, this week, we do want to talk about Marshall's uh, camps for men's and women's soccer. Uh, Men just had uh, yesterday, as we're recording, Saturday, they had their ID camp on the 16th, but the 18th through the 22nd, men's and women's soccer has another week-long camp like they had earlier this this offseason. That will be at uh, Shawnee at the other one is Trace Fork, maybe, or something in Charleston. And then, of course, here at the uh, the Hoops Family Field in Huntington. It's uh, $125 for the entire week or $90 for the first three, game, or first three days of the week, if you want to go uh, just half the week. So it's the 18th through the 22nd. As you're listening to this, the camp will have already started. But <laughs> retroactively go back and sign up today yeah. so that you can be there when it starts tomorrow after you listen to this tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> but I feel like most of the people that are going yeah. to be attending that camp have already, you know, known about it for a while, been looking forward to it, that sort of thing. We just want our listeners to know what's going on. You know, maybe you make your way down there and uh, check it out. I know that I have a, uh, 
on a personal level from my day job, I have a, uh, a an aerial lift down there. They're doing some work at the softball or not softball at the soccer stadium. So I'm going to get down there uh, to check in with those guys this week and, you know, hopefully get to witness a little bit of what's going on. Yeah, we got to continue to get out and, and support those camps. Um, and I'm not going to repeat myself over and over again, but a soccer of all sports, I mean, goodness gracious, the, there's no need to travel anywhere. When these soccer camps are coming up, you've just got to be a part of them if you play soccer. If, you're, if your child plays soccer, you don't need to justify traveling to North Carolina or Virginia or somewhere else to take part in a camp when a premier camp is right there in Huntington. So, Russ, is that really all there was for uh, Around the Herd? No. So also with women's soccer, due to our nature of when we recorded last week, I believe that I missed this or we collectively missed this uh, to talk about. But uh, women's soccer signed two transfers and it was this week, I guess, officially that they signed, but it was announced right before we recorded last time. Uh, transfer Campbell George came over from Xavier and Loiza Travasos came from Indiana. So women's soccer picking up a couple of uh, transfers to help bolster their roster. Yep. If you're a women's soccer fan and you want to know more about those transfers, there is an article on herdzone.com so that you can uh, catch up with that. But always nice to uh, see moves being made to improve the herd's products on the field. So welcome to the herd, um, Ms. George and Ms. Travasos. Glad to have you in Huntington. Russ, if you don't have anything else, let's get some parting words and get the heck out of here this week. All right. I want to talk a little bit about with, again, we're giving some hints out. We're giving some teasers out and I'm not going to give any more out this week, but I am just looking forward to ignite link what we have going on with them that we'll be announcing soon. I uh, had a great uh, opportunity to spend some time with uh, Jed of ignite link. And you and I have been uh, throwing some ideas back and forth with him and Guys, I've just I've got to prep you a little bit. You're going to be blown away, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I would have to echo that as well. Um, I inadvertently tossed out a little bit of a teaser a little bit ago, and uh, I'm sure nobody will know where to go back and find that, even if you heard it in real time. And even if you're hearing me say this now, you won't know where to go to find that. But uh, I, I caught myself after I let it blurt out. But, yeah, it is what it is. But you're right. Uh, we've been doing a lot of collaboration with Jed. And uh, what we have in the works is going to be really, really exciting and really, really fun. Uh, if you haven't been listening to the podcast or you've just been kind of like, oh, I'll casually listen if I want to, please subscribe to the show. Because a lot of what we have been planning since we started this is really starting to hit the road. The rubber is going to hit the road here really soon. And you're not going to want to miss any of the details that we're going to be divulging here in the coming weeks and months. You're not going to be wanting to miss any of the other information. I don't want to give anything away either. I'm just telling you, as a fan, as a herd fan, you're not going to want to miss what we've been working on. Uh, when we told you back in the first episodes that we were aiming to be the premier Marshall podcast around. We weren't kidding. 
And uh, as part of that is great, bringing you great episodes every week, but there's more to that that we have kept under our uh, hats uh, uh, and still continue to because we're still ironing out details. But please, I'm begging you, subscribe to the show if you just listen casually. If you wait for that tweet to come up every week and you just click the link, that's great. But subscribe to the show so you, it automatically downloads. Please send links to your friends. They're not going to want to miss this. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Um, I'm looking forward to coming in for the home opener. That's getting really close. I'm, I'm, I'm just getting excited about it, right? I don't get to come back to Huntington too often and do stuff like this. And, and the week one um, game, the tailgate, the season opener, all that kind of stuff I'm looking forward to. So you guys don't want to miss out. Please subscribe to the show. Russ, take us the heck out of here. All right. I don't have anything really funny tongue in cheek or whatever to say this week that well, I, I mean always the do. nickelback joke was pretty good so <laughs> no i know, I know you're I'm, talking about the, the the taking us out part but yeah that was pretty good i i mean i i feel like i've painted myself into a corner here because it's expected but whether you see us around the joan whether you see us around the cam whether you see us around hoops field whether you see us over there with some dot magic or maybe you see me hanging up seven or eight different Marshall signs to go with the ones that I have on my front porch. <laughs> no matter wherever you see us, we're going to be saying, go hurry. Yeah, it's the Thundercast. We'll see you next week.